Welcome back, NEC Hoops fans. It's time for another NEC On The Run podcast. My name is Ron Ratner, and as always, I'm joined by Ryan Peters, our intrepid blogger. You'll find him on Twitter at Pioneer underscore Pride. Ryan, another pretty wild week in NEC Hoops action. The standings got upended once again, so we got a lot to chew on. Let's start with our three-point shot, and I know you wanted to talk straight right off the bat about St. Francis Brooklyn and their 2-0 week. Yeah, why not? They picked up a pair of victories, starting with their impressive upset at Wagner, despite missing lead guards Rob Higgins and Larry Moreno. But, you know, Wagner had the Terriers right where they wanted them to. They're up 11, almost the end of the first half. and But then Glenn Breaker's group went on an 18-1 to run to get themselves the lead, to get themselves back in it. And then what, what can you say about Tedrick Wilcox? Wilcox, he was terrific at Grimes Hill. 21 points, five rebounds, two assists, two steals. Um, he was a difference maker. And then you, know, you go to the Battle of Brooklyn, St. Francis forced 22 LIU turnovers. They finished with a plus 13 turnover margin. That's going to win you most nights, you know, 95% of the time if you have a plus 13 turnover margin. And, you know, the thing that really stood out in these two games collectively for me was the Terriers made 19 of 44 from deep. They're not known to be a long distance shooting team, but when they can make 43% of their threes, they are dangerous. I was impressed with this team. I was at the Wagner game, tough environment to play in that night, a uh, big crowd at Wagner and Wagner been playing great. St. Francis comes in and you know who really impressed me? There's actually two people we haven't talked about so far is DeAndre Howell South in the Wagner game. He's got some bounce to his game. I really, I, I like, it. he can shoot, he can take it to the hole. I think he's going to be a good one. He's only a freshman. And then you move on to the Battle of Brooklyn and Zion Bethea, who was named MVP, you know, showing off that mid-range game. And I know the announcers were talking about it a lot, but he can he can really score. He's a little, um, you know, Ramir Moore in him as well, the kind of similar styles and that they just find ways to get the ball in the hoop. Yeah, he's a he's a Hofstra transfer, so you know he has talent when he gets recruited to a CAA school. And Hofstra obviously had the big upset over the weekend, so they got, you know, Speedy Claxton's got them going. But he was a recruit, came over. That's what Glenn Brake has done incredibly well with his team over the years is find guys that could down transfer. You know, you talk about Atson or, uh, you know, Unique McLean, like those types of guys, like they they thrive in Brooklyn. And we're seeing it with Wilcox. He's a Division II transfer. We'll talk about him a lot more later on in the show. But, you know, Bethea is also another example of that. Josiah Harris as well, really good big in this league, both defensively can um, shoot the ball. I think you talked about it this week in your in your uh, analytical nuggets on our website about his mid-range game. Let's move on in our three-point shot to FDU. FDU reclaimed first place this week, 2-0. and Really good wins for them. Obviously, beating St. Francis PA, that was a marquee game last week. Excellent game. Every FDU game seems to be a fun one to watch. Uh, 87-82 on Thursday. Then they go up to Merrimack. Another high-level game, really intense uh, rallies for, uh, from double digits down to win that game, 78, 71. Those are two, those are two solid wins for the Knights. Yeah. A decisive week for FDU to kind of right the ship and get back to first place. And let's start with Merrimack because, you know, Merrimack was kind of rolling with that defense, but then FDU dropped the 52 spot on them in the second half, which is not easy to do. And Grant Singleton just have an all conference first team type of year. He was wonderful again, 27 points. His range is limitless and it really helps against that two, three zone that will expand out and guard you beyond the three point line. It doesn't matter for Singleton. He could hit it from anywhere in the gym. And he also dished out six assists, grabbed the uh, game high four steals. 
And, uh, you know, FDU also did really well to share the basketball. I was impressed with their 22 assists to 29 field goals made on Saturday. Grant Singleton has the ultimate confidence out there when you watch him play. He said it after the game. I'll shoot it from the volleyball lines. I'll shoot it from half court. I'll, I'll shoot it from anywhere. So, uh, yeah, really, really good game for for him. They did what they needed to do to uh, reclaim their spot at the top of the standings. It's going to be tough uh, dethroning them, I think. They have so much firepower and that you see that every game. Someone new will step up when they need them the most. They do. Everyone talks about Roberts and Singleton and, and Almanor at some level, but, you know, Joe Munden's really had a good year. We're going to talk about him later, um, you know, coming back from the concussion. Blygen's obviously a very accomplished big, or I'm sorry, a 6'3 guard who plays, you know, at a bigger position at the four spot, but he's terrific. And they got some pieces, Emmanuel off the bench that are very useful to Tobin Anderson. So I really like this group. They've expanded the rotation out comparatively where they were in November. And uh, they're definitely seven or eight deep right now, which is right where Tobin Anderson wants them. Yeah, terrific, terrific week for FDU. Let's turn our attention uh, give a shout out to LIU. LIU had been knocking on the door and they finally got that first NEC win last week. Yeah, a wild second half, plus 14 against the Pioneers that included an 18 to three run where they just could not miss. You know, they made all five of their triples in the last 14 minutes of that game and they did just enough late. They made they made three quarters of their, of their free throws. They did just enough late to kind of hold off a Sacred Heart run. Five players in double figures led by freshman CJ Delancey with 18 points. Um, you know, and it was, it was a terrific effort considering how shortened that rotation was, you know, it was kind of a, it was a mash unit for Rod Strickland, but they figured it out. They got down early, you know, by double digits, I believe 16 points in that first half, but tr tremendous resolve from the Sharks to get their first league win under Rod Strickland. Yeah, I think Delancey's going to be a good one uh, moving forward over the next couple of years. He's the, he, you could see the skill set is there. He's he's young. He's going to get stronger. RJ Green had a tough stretch for a few games there, but he seems to have righted things now, and he was very impressive um, last week. Yeah, seventeen points in the Battle of Brooklyn. So I I like those two pieces that Strickland has in Green and Delancey. I think those are certainly building blocks moving forward. You kind of have your one or two guard, and then you have your center at the five and. Uh, you know, Delancey, I think, is a, a special talent who could eventually get on the all-rookie team at the end of the year. As Marco Maladich gets back to health and we've, see, we've seen the uh, uh, Andre Washington pick up his game, uh, I, I think LIU is going to be a, a tough out in the second half of this season for some teams. Absolutely, especially at home. They could definitely, they could definitely pick off an opponent here, an opponent who's trying to jockey for position in this NEC tournament. All right, St. Francis, Brooklyn, FDU, LIU. That was our three-point shot. Now it's time for our NEC open mic, and we'd like to welcome in Tedrick Wilcox Jr. of St. Francis, Brooklyn. Terriers coming off two big wins last week. Tedrick, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get going. Let's start with your game at Wagner and the CBS uh, Sports Network TV game. You guys came out blazing in the second half. Uh, big run. You were a part of everything that happened in that second half, you finished with 21 points, um, hit three threes. You've had some really good success against Wagner in your career. They're a very good defensive team. Um, how have you been able to really have that success and have such um, proficient offensive games against the, against the Seahawks? I mean, I honestly, I couldn't tell you anything like particular about that team that I can get off. I just, I think it's about just picking my spots, my teammates finding me, getting good looks, knocking down the opportunities, and 
like for instance, the game that just passed last week, I know they was like definitely cheating the, the shot a lot, trying to play me hard, not really allow any jumpers. And I think that's how we end up getting a couple of looks downhill and kickouts and able to make plays down the stretch, stuff like that. So it's just about like knowing the spots, knowing how the defense is going to play you and being able to read and react. Those. It's interesting to me, Tedrick, you know, Wagner has, as you know, great ball pressure especially when you cross half court, but Glenn Breaker, Coach Breaker has ball pressure too. You guys are known to get in each other's face. So maybe that preparation and practice help has helped you for Wagner in your three career games against them. I honestly think that's probably been some of the biggest preparation. Like our practices, no knock on anybody else, but I don't, I don't know if anybody play, goes as hard and pressures the ball. Like even in practice, we're picking up 94 feet the whole time in practice. So we're literally used to nonstop constant pressure. So I think when you get in those games where teams pressure us, it's kind of like what we're used to. It feels almost like practice all over again. Tedrick, after the Wagner win, you jump right into the Battle of Brooklyn with LIU. Uh, another solid victory. How much does that game mean to you and your teammates each year? I mean, I feel like all the conference games are important, but obviously these are guys we kind of see often. You walk into the store, stuff like that. We run into the LIU guys, so. It's kind of good to be able to have that little bit of bragging rights. And I think we won both games against him this year. So we kind of gave him no room to talk. But it's definitely a good feeling, especially towards this later end of the season, being able to roll into playoffs, being able to pull off big dubs and like those big type of environments, get us ready for the postseason. What's been impressive to me is the Terriers, you know, they had the last last two games they've won and they've done it without, you know, your teammates, Rob Higgins and Larry Moreno. Has has their absence kind of changed your mindset, your aggression in terms of being the main guy offensively moving forward? I mean, yeah, I feel like everybody kind of had to step up a little bit in their absence. And I wouldn't even say honestly in their absence because those guys aren't with us on the court, but they're probably two of the loudest people on the bench. They're very vocal. They definitely make sure to still be leaders and practice and stuff like that. So I think their, their presence still being there, they're kind of like, the reason why a lot of us have stepped up and played a lot better. They actually themselves have put a lot of confidence in people and they like just motivate us, get us going. And everybody kind of just took a little piece of the, the role that needed to be filled and came together and made it happen. Uh, you're filling a big role right now. Don't be modest. You know, you're really starting to cook now. Five of your last seven are in double figures, but you, you kind of had a lull before that, before you kind of got going. What is it about your game or your approach that's changed from December to now where your team has won five of the last seven? Uh, I think before I probably had, was focused a little bit like too much on scoring and shot hunting and stuff like that rather than letting the game come to me. I think over the last couple of games, it's just been more focused on what we can do together as a team to win and like winning plays, winning efforts like that. And when the focus kind of changed and everybody came together really just to do their part on winning, the floor kind of started opening up, shot opportunities started opening up, and then the shots started falling. So everything kind of just came together and worked at once. Pedrick, earlier in the year, going back to LIU, you you hit a big shot late in the game against them. And in the in the post game, we're gonna show, we'll show this uh when when this interview comes out. Um, you said I was waiting for the ball, I wanted to put the dagger in him. I think about moments like that all the time. Finally, I got one, it felt so good. How much do you actually think about those big time moments and you being you the one to take and make big shots I mean to be honest all the time like I'm a basketball player but I'm also a basketball fan so you know you see some of your favorite players on tv making stuff making plays like that highlights you always think like dang I want to know what it feels like to be in that scenario so 
I kind of like it's definitely something I think about all the time. And then growing up, like I've always been a fan of college basketball, watching on TV, seeing plays, make the big plays, the crowd go crazy, stuff like that. So it's definitely been something I always dreamed of. So for it to happen, it definitely was surreal. Growing up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Now, Rhode Island, maybe, I don't know if it's the biggest hotbed of hoops, but you're a six-six wing who can shoot and take it to the take it to the hole. You may have been overlooked coming out of high school. You went and played at D two Dominican. Um, what was the connection that you found with Coach Brake and St. Francis Brooklyn that led you to becoming a terrier? Well, uh, my first two years in Dominican, it was actually very fun, a great experience. It was my first time ever being away from home. Like, I've traveled out of the state of Rhode Island, but only for like weekends or a little vacation and stuff like that. So this is the first experience ever from home and New York kind of just felt like a second home. Uh, I want to say when I entered the transfer portal that March, after my sophomore season with Dominican, the Terriers were the first to reach out to me. They kind of just made sure to feel like family. We've talked, we had like, like we had likewise goals for on the court and where they see me fitting in. So it kind of was an easy adjustment. I was staying right here in New York. I still wasn't far from home. My family could come visit. And we had the same type of ideas and goals on the court. So came together made it happen. You've had a pretty you had a pretty good career at Dominican. You're rookie of the year in the conference, you're all conference recipient as a sophomore. What has been the biggest adjustment for you going from division two Dominican College to playing at the division one level now at St. Francis, Brooklyn? Uh, originally it was kind of just like, you know, the speed, the physicality, athleticism. Like at Dominican, I feel like being there, like physical talent, I was probably one of the better people in the league, obviously, stuff like that. But like when I first got to Dominican, I just kind of had to learn to be more of a basketball player, like be a college basketball player, make reads, stuff like that, understand the game. And then transferring to St. Francis, I kind of like I no longer stood out as this physical specimen. Like there's a bunch of six, six athletes, people that can knock down shots, people that can dunk the ball. So then here, really, I just had to learn to like be smarter, but also like just get better. Like I had to learn to be more physical, be able to take the bump, go into the basket, get in contact. Whereas at Dominican, I'm matched up with a big man that's probably my size, 6'6". Like the center is 6'6", 200. Now I'm matching up against shooting guards at 6'6", 200. They're just as fast as me, just as athletic. So you kind of just, I don't know, it's a little bit of adjustment. It's the same, but you just got to learn to take it to that next level, I guess. Pedrick, I know that you, like everyone we talk to, you have title aspirations. Uh, everybody has the same goal here. You look at the standings. I know you look at the standings and you see all these teams bunched up. Everybody wants to host a quarterfinal game or a semifinal game to get into that top four or to that top two or to make a run even at, at one over the second half of the season. What do you and your teammates need to do to reach that goal? Uh I mean, the way the conference is set up, the standing is set up, I really don't feel like, I'm not going to say they don't matter, but it's really about who's playing their best basketball come beginning of March. So it's kind of anybody can be anybody type of night. I think the biggest thing we preach in our huddles and our practices, pregame, halftime, is just like sticking together, everybody having each other's back and fighting for 40 minutes. I think majority of the games in this league is fights. It's about who's the tougher team, who's going to go harder, dive at the loose balls, the, the hustle type of play. So. We just instilled that in us to be the toughest team, be the hardest working team and go out there and really fight, try to pull out some dubs, scrap out some dubs. Right there, you heard it, Brooklyn Tough, Tedrick Wilcox and St. Francis Brooklyn coming off a sweep last week. Tedrick, thanks for joining us on our NEC Open Mic. Thank you for having me.
Now it's time for our heat check, and we're going to start up at Stonehill. We were just talking about how much we both love watching Max Zagorowski play. He was an underrated pickup for Chris Kraus this offseason, but the floor stretching big should not be underrated any longer. You know, think about this. He leads the team in minutes played. He's made at least two threes in a game 17 times this season. He's a 6'8 big man. For him to do that and stretch the floor and help his other guys kind of slash to the rim like Burnett and Josh Mack and Shamir Johnson, I mean, it's just it's so invaluable. And right now he's, he's shooting 52% from deep in league play. That's pretty good. It's pretty not good. Bad. Not bad. He's got, yeah. he's got 25 made threes, 20 assists, and just 10 turnovers in nine league games. I think that's pretty good. I mean, no wonder we love him. Love watching him play. <laughs> he's efficient. And as you were you know, alluding to, he opens the floor up for a number of uh, – for Andrew Sims down on the block, for Burnett to drive, and some of the other guys on the team. Zagorowski, Max, he likes to shoot from 25 feet out. We, we talked about Zion Bethea before in his Battle of Brooklyn MVP performance. He will take you any which way from an 18-foot pull-up to down on, down on the block. He's got an old-school game, and he's coming off perhaps his two best games as a Terrier. You know, he, he logged 30 points and 17 shots in the two victories this week. And, you know, his, his effort in the Battle of Brooklyn was terrific. Not only his scoring, as you mentioned, you know, and he could get a shot anywhere he wants to on the floor, but six assists, three steals, four rebounds, a team-high 34 minutes, just what Glenn Breka needs in his shortened kind of backcourt for the Terriers. While Zion Bethea has been picking up steam in Brooklyn, a true under-the-radar player in the league this season, I think, is Sacred Heart's Raheem Solomon. He's really coming on, and the Pioneers have been on a bit of a skid lately, but it's really not Solomon's fault, as you know, the Niagara transfer is averaging now 14.5 points in his last four games, and he's finally starting to flash the upside that he's capable of. You know, he's got that pedigree to have success in the NEC. He's got good size. He could get a shot anywhere he wants on the floor. And he has that creativity in his game, especially down low. You know, Anthony Latina's kind of called him Dwayne Wade in practice with his finishes <laughs> and his ability just to get his shot off anywhere with his pull-up. He's a solid jump shooter, has the ability to get downhill, and you could definitely isolate him at the end of the shot clock. I think he's a good complement to some of the other players that Sacred Heart has. It would really be great to see that team healthy and yeah. firing on all cylinders. I know it's been rough for you as a, as a pioneer alum, but to see, you know, your Brendan McGuire or someone like that um, miss time when it looked like they were starting to come together must be uh, tough to swallow. Yeah, you know, that, that that threesome of guards where you talk about Joey Riley, Solomon, and then uh, Brandon McGuire, they complement each other perfectly, as you mentioned. You know, McGuire is the kind of great floor vision, the pass first point guard with great size. He could, he could survey over the defense with his size. And then Solomon's a guy who's going to get his shot off. And then Joey Riley's just creative. He's kind of like Steve Nash, like, and he's very efficient. He'll make threes for you. He also has a nice pull-up game as well. So those three complement each other very well, but without McGuire, it's kind of a different dynamic for Sacred Heart. And Anthony Latina is struggling to figure that out right now. All right. We just heard a little bit about Raheem Solomon and that's our heat check. As I sit here with Mr. Analytics himself, his favorite segment up now is the Stat Chat. We're going to be talking a little bit about Central Connecticut. Yeah, in my honest opinion, Central's performed better than the record indicates because they've had so many close losses. You know, whether you talk about Merrimack late, you know, uh, Bennett hits the three late. FDU, they are right in there in that game with them. St. Francis University early in the, in the conference season. But it's been a main reason why the, the Blue Devils have been struggling, but they really kind of closed it out 
down the stretch against a red flash on Saturday, a 26 to 12 run over the last seven minutes. And in that time, they made seven of nine shots and five of those makes came at the rim. So it was illustrating their aggressiveness and cutting towards the basket. I think one thing that has kind of befuddled Pat Sellers is this team is mainly a jump shooting team. Their, their free throw rates really ro low relative to division one, but they kind of captured that aggression late in the game on Saturday. And it kind of took them, it took them the great places as they closed out the red flash. While we're talking about central, can I give a little appreciation post out here to Jay Rogers and, and his play as of late, like never turns the ball over, um, can stick the jumper, has made some really good decisions down the stretch in that St. Francis, Pennsylvania, uh, St. Francis PA game. Yeah, Jay Rogers is funny because I talked to Pat before the Wagner Central Connecticut game for my broadcasting prep, and he called Rogers when he got him in New Britain a 1980s two guard because he was just a guy who just <laughs> hunted the mid range game, you know, dribble, 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 try to find his shot. But now he's starting to get Rogers to become a more efficient, make more efficient decisions on the floor. And it's really showing in his game. His two point percentage is up, his assist rate is up, and as you mentioned, his turnover rate is down. Ryan, let's hit our games of the week this week, a pair of television games on Thursday. I'm going to try to actually get to both of these. I'm going to try to do the maybe ill-advised swing after LIU plays Merrimack at 5 p.m. on CBS Sports Network on Thursday, trying to get to Stonehill for the second half to see them take on St. Francis University. Let's start with the LIU Merrimack game. What are you looking for in this one? Merrimack's in the middle of their four-game homestand when LIU comes to visit. And who cannot forget the last uh, high-scoring affair in North Andover between these two? Jordan McCoy had seven threes to outlast the high-scoring Sharks. This time around, I'm really curious to watch the Merrimack zone account for R.J. Green coming off that 17-point performance on Saturday and sharpshooter Marco Malatich, who's making 39% of his triples. And for LIU, you got to keep an eye on the best freshman duo in the league, in my opinion, in Javon Bennett and Jordan Durkak. They're averaging 16 points and nearly four steals per game this year. Lots of young talent in that one. But when that one ends on CBS, everybody change your dial over to ESPN3, where we have a big game. What's turned out that we didn't maybe think this was going to be a big one at the begin uh, early in the year, but it is Stonehill now all alone in second place at six and three against third place, St. Francis U, playoff positioning. We're starting to talk about that for St. Francis. Stonehill wants to win a regular season title. Lots of star power in this one, starting, of course, with Josh Cohen and his league leading 21.8 points per game. Isaiah Burnett, Andrew Sims, those are Stonehill's two leading scores on a team that's well-balanced, one through seven for Chris Krause. We already talked about Max Zagorowski and his impact. Shamir Johnson, a great three-point shooter. Josh Mack is terrific off the bench. And, you know, one part of this matchup that really intrigues me, SFU shooting 41% from deep. Rennell Giles, Hargis, Luke Ruggery, Maxwell Land, you got to account for them when they're, when they're out there in the perimeter. But Stonehill's held opponents to only 30% from deep in league play. So it's a big game for the Skyhawks, as you mentioned, to keep pace with FDU and stay within range of what many of us, many of us thought was an improbable regular season title. Stonehill SFU, a marquee matchup this week, along with our two TV games. Be sure to tune in to NEC Front Row and NECfrontrow.com along with the NEC On The Run series of streaming apps to catch the rest of this week's schedule. There you have it, fans. Episode five of the NEC On The Run podcast. Ryan, thanks for taking part as usual. And thanks to Tedrick Wilcox Jr. for joining us for NEC Open Mic. We'll see you next week.